Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Business travel, uh, you know, we've all become accustomed and uh, experts, if you will, at uh, virtual type meetings. I think some business travel will never come back. Um, some of it will come back. I think we're seeing some of it come back, but it goes back to how we're handling the pandemic. I think it also goes back again to safety issues. Um, you're not going to get everybody wanting to come back town downtown if they're not feeling safe. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week, appropriately, is Rob Carr, President and CEO of the Illinois Retail Merchants Association. Rob, thanks for joining us. It's Christmas shopping season. Indeed it is, Fran. Thanks for having me. You've been with this important organization since 1994. You've been CEO since 2014. Over that time, there has literally been a sea change in retailing, maybe even more of a sea change and we've seen in the media in general and the newspaper industry in particular. What are the major challenges for retailers now and how do they differ from the way it was when you came on the scene? Yeah, that's a great question, Fran. I, you know, we've pointed out repeatedly that there's never been, there never is a more dynamic sector, economic sector than the retail sector. And I think that's because we're consumer facing. And that means we have to not only uh, meet the consumers where they're at, but we have to anticipate where they're going. And I think you see that reflected in where retail is today versus where it was when I started 27, nearly 28 years ago. Um, the, the greatest challenges, I think, are trying to continue to stay ahead of where the consumer is going to incorporate all the experiences, services um, that they want. They want to uh, they want shopping to be more than just going in and going through racks. They want it to be an experience. They want a variety of options, not only in terms of merchandise, but services. Uh, as we saw through the pandemic, it accelerated everyone's implementation of curbside and, and uh, remote selling. And they consumers continue to want those options to be available as well as being able to go back to brick and mortar. So it's just an overall challenge uh, in that regard. How much more difficult is it for a retailer to survive today than it was then? And what has your organization done to help retailers survive? Yeah, great question. I think everything's relative, right? I mean, when you, it's hard to draw exact comparisons to you know, where we were 30 years ago, um, the, the different challenges, different cost impacts. But clearly, um, when you're thinking about retail, uh, whether it's large or small, the cost of implementing the various experiences and technological needs and desires of uh, the consumer, uh, the cost of trying to keep your operation, um, you know, at the cutting edge of technology. We're seeing distribution centers now uh, that are completely robotic 
as an example. Um, that that's a challenge and an additional cost. Um, you know, we've seen in the city of Chicago and frankly around the nation and the globe, uh, continuing increase in organized retail crime is a cost. Uh, taxes are a cost. Uh, there's, there's, you know, the current workforce shortage continues to be a challenge and will continue to be a challenge for the foreseeable future. And then just adjusting to all of the, the ever-changing economic environment for retail is always difficult. Of course, there are the unique challenges of the pandemic, the mandatory shutdowns, the capacity limits, two devastating rounds of looting in Chicago, supply chain issues, COVID vaccines, resistance to them, the shortage of health along with inflation, and as you mentioned, that unrelenting string of high-end retail thefts. How much more of this kind of high-end retail theft can retailers take before they close up shop along Michigan Avenue and in the Gold Coast? Well, I think, Fran, and I think we have, first thing I have to address is it's not just high-end. I mean, this is happening uh, in a lot of places. We've seen it happen in Englewood uh, to an apparel store. We've seen it happen in, in other jurisdictions. So it isn't just the Magmaril. I think, you know, the, the, those types of shores are stores. Uh, capture the headlines, but it's it's really happening in, in more uh, areas. It happens to convenience stores and pharmacies um, across the city and the area. Um, they can't take a lot. I mean, for the first time in my career, you're starting to see the impact of organized retail crime show up in reports to shareholders. You're starting to see uh, businesses uh, list safety and crime as number one or number two in whether or not they're going to continue to remain viable or whether they're going to locate stores. I've never seen that in 30 years. It's, it's, you know, it's always on a list, but it's certainly not top one or two. Um, and I think we're already seeing stores that have made their decisions based on safety. And, uh, you know, some don't want to put their brand out there and talk about it, but th- that is clearly behind some of the decisions they've made. What is this that's going on? What is this new phenomenon? Well, I think that's one thing we have to correct, too. It's not new. We've been talking, Irma's been talking about and working on organized retail crime for over a decade. What is new is it has increased in the last five years over 60%, according to the National Retail Federation. So it is not related just to the pandemic. It, it predated the pandemic by a lot. It started growing before the pandemic, but clearly it has, it has uh, continued to grow uh, throughout the pandemic. It's a, a variety of imp- factors, I think, but as we're talking about just the Chicago area, I think the biggest problem for all of us is, is that our leaders who need to sit down with us and work on it are pointing fingers at each other as opposing to working constructively with us. Mayor Lori Lightfoot has recently put the onus on retailers. The mayor said she shopped in Paris and London and Madrid and New York and along Rodeo Drive. And the retailers there have security guards posted outside. They have security cameras. They have people buzzing in. Merchandise like expensive handbags are locked and chained. She's pressuring retailers to implement those same measures here. Downtown Alderman Brian Hopkins was rather horrified by the mayor's attempts to shift the burden away from Chicago police. He believes the mayor is abdicating her own responsibility. How do you feel about that? I think the comment was extraordinarily disheartening and uh, misinformed. It was disheartening and it seems to continue to point fingers and play, play the blame game that I mentioned earlier, as opposed to working cooperatively to solve the problem. But secondly, I think the evidence itself demonstrates that's false. Um, newscasts day in and day out are filled with the footage from cameras. Cameras have never been uh, more widely utilized. You know, some merchandise can be locked up, but not all of it. That's not how retail works. 
the consumer, as I mentioned at the beginning of our discussion, wants an experience. You can't have an experience if all the merchandise is locked up behind a counter or chained to a wall. Do we really want every retailer having to decide whether or not they're going to buzz someone in? And what kind of um, uh, questions do they just, do they interrogate the consumer with to try to decide whether they're going to let someone in? That might work for a few extraordinarily small, you know, small in terms of square footage uh, stores, but that is not going to work for the vast majority of retail. I think it also ignores the fact that retail has been investing in tens of millions just in Illinois and hundreds of millions nationwide in security for years. We have always taken responsibility for the security of our stores, uh, including the team personnel who work for us and the consumers who enter them. But at the end of the day, retail has to be open facing to the consumer. We are not a factory that can be locked behind a gate. We are not city hall or the Capitol that can have, you know, uh, security guards or uh, police officers with arresting authority uh, at the doors. There's a major distinction. So again, I, I think to what you pointed out, uh, it's just, it's disheartening uh, to hear those kind of misinformed comments. Yeah. What do you think would happen if retailers along the mag mile required their customers to buzz in? Don't you think that would open the door to charges of racial profiling? Oh, undoubtedly, it puts it. Then we'd be getting screamed at for that. And uh, furthermore, I think it would push more people to simply go online. Why would you go to a store if you can't touch, feel, try on the merchandise? Uh, it doesn't work. Or that be way. sure and you'll even get in or buzzed in. That's correct. That's correct. Uh, and do we really want that for our for our neighborhoods? Um, you know, not just the Mag Mile. Think about Little Village. Think about, you know, the East Lakeview area. Think about all the retail corridors because it's not just a Mag Mile. It's all of those retail corridors that are impacted. And do we really want that type of uh, environment for our neighborhoods? So what does the city need to do to stop this? I think it's not just the city. I think it is all of us need to sit down, but we particularly need the leaders, as I mentioned earlier, to quit finger pointing, sit down, you're talking about wrong. Lightfoot and uh, Kim Fox and, and Tony Preckwinkle? And, and the, you know, I think I think adding uh, kind of Board President Preckwinkle to the discussion would be a positive thing. But we also, we need to add Judge Evans. Uh, and we are part of a group that has sought meetings with all of those, uh, all three of those. We have not with uh, Preckwinkle, but with all three of them. Um, we're currently waiting for a meeting date with Judge Evans because everyone has a role to play here. It's a law enforcement continuum. It is not just CPD. It is not just Kim Fox and the state's attorney's office. It is not just the courts. It is a continuum, and we need the continuum to step up and help address this. What about Lightfoot, though, and David Brown, her police superintendent? What do they need to do? Communicate. Um, tell us their frustrations, but also tell us, uh, you know, be willing to uh, help change tactics if necessary. Um, but they need to engage in a, in a, in a uh, collaborative approach, um, no differently than, you know, State's Attorney Kim Fox or Judge Evans. What tactics, what tactics would you like to see them try? I, I mean, I drove yep. down Michigan Avenue last Friday night. I saw an empty squad car with strobe lights flashing at every single intersection along Michigan Avenue from the river to Oak Street in the island. Uh and I guess it was license plate readers and cameras, but nobody in the cars. Is that an effective deterrent? Well, I think that's something we have to discuss, right? I, I'm not a law enforcement professional, Fran. I can take advice from our asset protection personnel that, at, our, at our members. We can certainly think through some of the uh, suggestions that CPD or the state attorney or others might have. 
but we clearly know something has changed in the environment and that's not working. And I'm trying to avoid the blame game because I don't want to point fingers that we've got enough of that. We will be coming out uh, in the not too distant future with some with some suggestions that will we think help. But until the leaders are willing to stop that blame game uh, and engage, it's going to make any changes difficult. So what suggestions are you are you considering? Uh, we'll, we'll get to that, Fran. Uh, Give me but, a tease. Give me a tease. You're here now. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm here now, but I really, I don't know. I don't, you never get ahead in the association world. You never want to get ahead of your members. Um, so I need to give okay. them, give them time to, uh, to, uh, sort through and, and comment before we do that. But I promise I that get you you'll be among the first to know. Okay. Just this week, a city council committee authorized a commercial property tax increase along Michigan Avenue to bankroll security improvements. Should that be necessary? No, I think it shouldn't be necessary, Uh, but it's clearly something that the businesses were willing to engage in. Uh, But it shouldn't be necessary that we have to continue to pile on the property tax at the same time that the assessor is piling on even more on the commercial industrial sector. Um, that's that in and of itself is creating a heavy burden, but I think that's another example of the retail sector in that, at least, at least in that area, stepping up and being willing to do more. Um, but, uh, again, it shouldn't be necessary. Some of the revenue from this commercial property tax increase might be used to bankroll ideas trotted out recently by the Urban Land Institute to reimagine Michigan Avenue and fill 20% vacancy rate. Those ideas include Parisian-style cafes, independent one-of-a-kind shops, building a pedestrian bridge to Oak Street Beach, better connections to Navy Pier. Also, they're talking about perhaps breaking up the mile-long shopping district into branded sections, including one mixing showbiz with retail sales, kind of destination retail. What do you mm-hmm. think of those ideas? We, I mean, we've got giant holes in Michigan Avenue, including the hole at Water Tower Place left by Macy's. Yep, I think this can be constructive, and, and we'll be a part of reviewing those and thinking about those. Clearly, destination retail is where the consumer is at. When you think about malls, Malls that are destination malls are, are doing well. Um, and, and so that is clearly something that we should think about, but it ignores the environment until safety is addressed and addressed persistently and consistently over the long term. We're going to have a problem. We're going to have a problem getting 2.6 million people to commute back downtown, which is also part of the pandemic, but they're mentioning safety and a resistance to come back to work. We're going to struggle to get 55 million or more tourists back to Chicago, Chicago, like San Francisco, has become a poster child for safety issues. I get calls from friends who want to go somewhere, and they're asking, is it really safe? Where do I go? What do I avoid? Um, And they're concerned about coming to Chicago. We have to address that safety environment, or you can make all the changes you want. You can move all sorts of things around, build bridges, shut off streets, but until you address that environment, uh, and and the consumers can feel that it has truly uh, changed, that's going to be a problem. When you say destination retail is doing well at malls that have that, what is that? What are we talking about? When you're thinking about destination retail, you're thinking about uh, it goes back to the consumer experience. So consumers right now don't want to go in necessarily to a big uh, interior mall and walk three miles to get from one end to the other. You have segmented type malls generally kind of, uh, I would almost call them a series of kind of strips and you're able to 
to uh, to drive up to uh, a particular shop or set of shops you want, but includes experiences for entertainment. It ex- includes dining uh, and and libations. Um, it, it includes all of those types of things together in one spot that consumers can have a variety of activities. Is it just like uh, dining and bars and movie theaters, or is there some other no. kind of entertainment? Like what? No, it could include it could include laser tags. It could include bowling alleys. Um, it could include putt putt golf, or you know, uh, ha- having a in a digital type of golf experience. It could be anything you could think of where the consumer wants entertainment. Uh, or they can engage in activities. Uh, it could be, t- you know, bocce ball and, and those types of, uh, of uh, entertainment facilities, uh, things for kids. It, really, it's whatever your imagination can come up with it, it, and, and uh, will attract the consumer. Let's delve a little deeper into the pandemic that continues with the Omicron variant and the holiday surge. How many retailers have fallen by the wayside? I, I was in New York City about a month ago, and I was amazed to see a slew of vacancies on almost every single block along Madison Avenue. Um, that's a premier commercial uh, shopping strip for New York City. Uh, and in Chicago, again, as we mentioned, Michigan Avenue has a 20% vacancy rate. What will it take to fill those vacancies? What uh, I mean, where are we in terms of the pandemic? Yeah, in terms of the pandemic, I think it's going to take, it's going to be a while uh, to fill those vacancies. You're going to have to, at least for Chicago, I go back to what I said a few minutes ago, you're going to have to have the you know 2 million plus people returning to work downtown. You're going to have to have 55 million plus tourists returning each year to really get us back to where we were pre-pandemic. I think that's going to require us to start thinking through how we live with the pandemic. I think the thought that we're going to get just totally past this, that it's going to be something that we can just forget about, I'm not sure that's going to happen. It doesn't seem to be that uh, COVID is is functioning that way. It's going to be something we're going to have to learn to, uh, uh, to, to live with as an endemic as opposed to a pandemic. Now, that includes, you know, people getting their shots so they're more resistant um, but other than that, we have to think we're, we have to start rethinking how we're approaching this. What about the vacancy rate among retail employees, particularly with the need for vaccines to keep customers and coworkers safe, but the continued resistance to those vaccines? Yeah, it's hard. It is very difficult, uh, particularly for retail, which is manpower intensive. Uh, you, you know, you, you, you risk losing the uh they would we've seen people would rather just walk away from their job than get their vaccine um they they simply don't want to do that and you know when you think about seasonal or part-time employees in particular they're less connected to their job and they're far more likely just to walk away but they're integral parts of um, both retail and other sectors of the economy it's difficult to overcome that uh, despite consistent messaging despite encouragement despite seeing you know the medical facts that if uh, you have received your covid shot that your uh, far less likely to be uh, hospitalized or have your life in danger. Um, but that becomes a personal decision. At some point, um, they have to make, uh, they, they have to make that decision for themselves. I think we probably have to think through too how we make uh, a testing part of this option for those who may not want to do that. Like, what do you want to do? Well, I think you just have to think through, uh, you know, a state and state, local, state and national effort around in- incorporating testing options so that people who were just never going to get to accept a COVID shot, uh, engage in some sort of regular testing um, so that they're able to, uh, you know, we can, we can help protect everyone else in that, in that way. 
Every retail store and every restaurant and every bar has vacancies and a shortage of workers. Employees, like you said, have choices. They're demanding higher pay. There's competition for their services. They're in the catbird seat. Have your members had to raise pay or endure with, with how much? Well, it's, you know, we have the, you have the minimum wage mandate in Chicago of 15. Statewide, it's on its way to 15. Um, we're seeing already people in the 18 and $20 uh, um, neighborhood for retail. Uh, for others, it's be, it's more than that. Uh, we've also seen signing bonuses. We've seen addition of benefits, um, even for part-time workers, uh, to try to attract them. Those all have had limited impact. Um, you know, there's a limit for retail on how high you can go at the end of the day when you have to think about other factors, such as the property taxes we mentioned earlier, the cost of goods. We're at the end of that chain of goods, right? All of the inflationary impacts that go through the uh, supply chain end up at the, at the retailer. Um, so we have a limited ability to, uh, to raise prices, um, and, and to offset all those costs. So you, you can only go so high. Um, and I think we're probably nearing, um, that limit. How many of your members have mask requirements for customers and what's the difficulty of enforcing those? Well, we've had the mask requirements since they were put in place. Uh, we've had some that were put in place prior to the state doing it, uh, a few, particularly grocery stores. Um, the problem is, is, is requiring the retailer to enforce it is misguided. And we've stated this from the beginning and evidence facts have continually bore us out. Retail has no ability to really enforce this. Um, we don't have the ability to physically restrain everyone to physically move them from the store. Um, and you know, the certainly can't have the, uh, be denying people access, uh, to the goods and services, particularly food and medicines that they need. It really needs to be an individual. If we're going to continue down this road, it really needs to be an individually enforced and we need the support of enforcement authorities to do it. How about inflation and supply chain issues? What impact have those problems had on retailing? They've continued to have, they've continued to have, have an impact. Um, you know, as I mentioned just a minute ago, inflate, we're at the end of the line when it comes to inflation. So all of those costs that get added in at the supply chain wind up at the retailer and the retailer still needs to uh, increase the price a little bit to account for at least some of the, uh, increased pay and benefits that we're offering that we talked about, as well as, uh, you know, meeting skywriting property taxes, uh, in Cook County. Uh, and other jurisdictions. Um, so it has, it has a definite impact. Not to mention that they're competing with online retailers who don't necessarily have all of that overhead expense. So that impacts their limits, the ability of brick and mortar, uh, to in increase their prices to fully offset. The mayor's sweeping pandemic relief package initially proposed a 10 p.m. curfew for citywide liquor sales. You convinced her to roll that back to midnight. How's it going? Is it hurting your members? Is it even necessary? And would you like to see her lift it? I think at the end of the day, we would, you know, in a perfect world, we'd rather see uh, everything return to the way it was. Uh, clearly, there was automatic support for some sort of limits as well. Uh, you know, midnight seemed to be a good compromise. That that seemed to be where our members. Uh, could land. And, and so we were pleased that we were able to reach that compromise. 10, 10, a, 10 PM was simply not reasonable. Um, but you know, we don't live in a perfect world. So I think the current compromise is working. And how's it going? Is anyone getting uh, slapped with anything uh, for violating the midnight curfew? To my knowledge, no. Okay. The new commissioner of business affairs and consumer protection, Ken Meyer has established as a priority, the need to revive and beautify long neglected neighborhood commercial corridors. What will it take to do that? And what ideas do you have? 
yeah, well, first, we're pleased to see Ken uh, ascend to that role. He's a, a longtime veteran. Uh, we and others have worked very well with him through in his different jobs throughout the years. So we're pleased to see him in that in that capacity. Um, and uh, we look forward to continuing to work with him. I, you know, we saw those comments today. I think that's heartening. We certainly want to see retail thrive everywhere. I think it goes back to where our conversation started, Fran. Safety has to be addressed. That's number that's number one. Uh, number two is we have to, uh, you know, stores go where income and, and disposable income is. That's the bottom line. So we have to figure out ways to uh, uh, develop uh, the areas so that there's more disposable income for individuals to go shopping. Uh, that that will be as an important factor. But the other factor will be what we've talked about, too. We have to figure out somehow to address uh, some of the cost drivers, such as the property tax. Uh, it's a difficult, thorny issue. I'm not suggesting it's easy, but we can't continue to see 30%, 40%, 50% or more uh, assessments on commercial industrial annually. That's just not sustainable. You got your degree from Illinois State University in political science, a minor in history. That means you are a student of politics. How do you like <laughs> Mayor Lori Lightfoot's chances for re-election, particularly as Chicago approaches the rather horrifying benchmark of eight hundred homicides this year, along with a continued increase in shootings and carjackings from last year's troubling levels. Well, Fran, if I, first, if I'm a, if I'm a student, you're a teacher when it comes to politics. You've been around <laughs> this for, for a long time. Thank um, you, sir. You would also, uh, I think, acknowledge that uh, it's a dangerous game to predict, particularly when you, you know, we're so far out and you really don't know uh, who her opponents will be. Clearly, any incumbent has challenges. You mentioned, you know, the challenges she has in terms of safety and crime. Um, but, you know, you, you have to see who else gets into the race. You have to see what the dynamics are at the time uh, that that race occurs. And so I, I'm not going to uh, entertain or not get into that uh, game at the moment. But she herself said, if you don't get a handle on safety, if people are afraid to come out of their homes, nothing else matters. I think that's right. And I think the fact that she recognizes that uh, is an advantage for her. Some some incumbents don't always see the problems that are in front of them. Uh, but again, she has to figure out how to uh, work with the council and others uh, to address those issues and uh, do it effectively and consistently uh, and sooner rather than later. But, uh, you know, she identified her own problem. But she has a shrinking police department with more and more retirements every day and a, and a demoralized police force that feels like they're, they don't have her backing. That may be. I, I am not an expert on those labor relations with the, with the Chicago Police Department. How do you feel about a Chicago casino? Where should it go and what good might it do for retailers? Uh, we always approach casinos with a little bit of hesitancy because the thinking was that, you know, it, it could uh, take away from um uh, retail sales or, you know, people go into more other experiences. Uh, I think um, I'm not going to opine necessarily on where it goes. I think it could be good for Chicago, depending where it goes, but also uh, depending on our environment. If we're a casino to thrive, we're going to have to have more people coming back, which gets us again. I hate to, you know, sound like a, uh, you know, keep pounding the same drum and repeating, but it gets back in part to addressing the safety issue as well. Uh, a casino thrives. People go to Vegas uh, right. You have to be a destination for a casino to do really well. Yeah. And in order to be a destination, you have to have tourists feel that they are safe. You have to have locals feel like they're safe coming downtown. That's right. Now, what about sports betting? 
uh, we would like we would not be opposed to sports betting, particularly uh, we think it all needs to be opened up to other retail options so that retailers, uh, particularly uh, some dining establishments or taverns, can utilize uh, uh, and benefit fully from um, from sports betting. So what do you mean then you would like to see in addition to the to the five stadiums and the facilities within a five mile radius of those, you would like to see restaurants be able to offer sports betting, all of them? If they choose, yeah, at least an option, right? It's their option. They don't have to do it. I think a lot of them would choose not to, but some of them where it's it fits, you know, think um, – you know, a, a sports bar situation or a dining establishment that's, that you know, kind of uh, tailored towards more of the sports environment, uh, that might be ideal for that type of setting. Um, you know, if you're uh, 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 the Dearborn, for example, over here, I, I don't know that that's going to fit for you. Uh, but there, there's some options, I think, that we're seeing that are could be available uh, that would be that would be good for some uh, retail settings. So who do you offer it to without completely saturating the city with sports betting? I think we overthink it when we think we're going to have to limit it ourselves. I think it will limit itself. Uh, I think when you see other jurisdictions uh, that have tried it, not everybody goes to it. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. As I mentioned, it doesn't fit for every uh, every establishment. Um, it only fits for some. So I think those and, and business owners will recognize who it, who it fits for and who it doesn't. I mean, it's the same way with lottery that we offer today, Fran. Um, despite the lottery's consistent efforts to try to expand the number of retailers who are offering lottery, it is very difficult because many just don't see it as uh, something that is good for them or fits within their business model. Um, it, so it you're saying offer the possibility to bars and restaurants and assuming, and you you assume, that only like the big sports bars will take advantage of it. I think you offer it to, to you know, broad sector retail and see who responds to it. But I, I think, again, the business owners are very are intelligent. They're, they're not going to offer something that doesn't fit with their environment or their model. Um, I have a hard time believing that a sit-down, uh, you know, restaurant is necessarily going – that doesn't have, you know, the TVs and the sports vibe and that kind of thing. I have a hard time seeing where they're going to be offering sports betting. But the sports moguls, the owners, the billionaire owners of the Cubs and 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 Jerry Reinsdorf and Bill and uh, not Bill Words, uh, Rocky Words, they're not going to want that kind of competition from sports bars. They want to be the place, their stadiums. They, you're right, they do. Uh, it, it all comes down to what revenue options the state and cities want. Do they do they want to grow that or do they want to limit it? And you think it's only fair to offer it up as an option to other retailers? I think it's fair, but I also think it would grow the uh, the revenue pie. And do you think the city should raise the 2% levy? No. No. Okay. And what about tourism and business travel? Is that going to come back? And when will it come back? And how will it come back? Uh, again, Fran, I think that goes back to a couple things. I think it goes back to that, to uh, the pandemic. I think it goes back to the desires of um, uh, employees and those who are engaged in uh, business travel. Um, you know, we've all become accustomed and uh, experts, if you will, at uh, virtual type meetings. I think some business travel will never come back. Um, some of it will come back. I think we're seeing some of it come back, but it goes back to how we're handling the pandemic. I think it also goes back again to safety issues. Um, you're not going to get everybody wanting to come back town, downtown if they're not feeling safe. 
You don't think convention business will ever come back to the degree or nearly the degree that it was in Chicago with this massive complex at McCormick Place filled much of the time? Oh, I hope it does. Oh, we're, we're all for that, and we want to do everything to incent that. Uh, I'm optimistic at the end of the day that it ultimately will come back, but we have to address the challenges that are in front of us to do that, one of which is safety. The other is, you know, pandemic. You have to you have to encourage people, but you have to show them. You can't just say, come on, do it. You have to show them that uh, you have addressed the problems that are in front of them. Rob Carr, thank you so very much for joining us. I hope it's a wonderful and successful shopping Christmas shopping season for your members and a good year ahead. And we wish you the best. Well, thank you, Fran. And we'll see you all next week. Thank you. Thank you.